All right, ladies, <clears throat> I think we're going to get started here. And um, before we go into our outline and the lesson, I'd like you to look at the top of your notes where I have um, this statement that we're talking about mourning this week. We're going to be talking about the second beatitude. And I want you to look at the question and think about, did Jesus ever laugh? Does he have a sense of humor? We're talking about mourning. So I want you to think about that. If you um, have some insights, um, we'll share them in a couple of minutes. Okay. All right. So what's your opinion or what do you know for sure? Did Jesus ever laugh? How do you know? <laughs> because he made a woman. Very interesting. <laughs> Any other reasons that you know that that's true? Sandy. Right. And, you know, the thing that you need to always remember is we are made in the image and likeness of God. Our personalities derive from him. And so if he made us with a sense of humor and the ability to laugh and to laugh at ourselves and at others, he does that too. Um, in scripture, a lot of times we'll note that Jesus laughed, but his laughing was, in a sense, a scoffing type of thing. Um, in Psalm 2, it talks about how he holds the sinners and the ungodly in derision sometimes for their behaviors. And that word means he, he laughs at them or scoffs at them. Um, but you have to, again, remember, he does it not in a nasty way, but he does it out of his own human or out of his own godly nature. So um, we know that he has a sense of humor. I always think when Peter fell out of the boat, and when under the water, he probably had a little chuckle. <laughs> so a um, couple of things before we begin the lesson. Michelle and I are going to alternate teaching. Um, we tried teaching together last week. It causes a little bit of um, things that we needed to work on. And so instead of doing that, I'll be teaching this week. Michelle will be teaching next week. We've done that many, many times before. So I know that you'll be okay with that. Um, the other thing that we want to remember is that we have an audience that we are not seeing. So we want to welcome you to those of you who are online that we can't see. We want to remember you as well and try to include you in our, um, in our hearts and in our minds together. I want to just mention, um, before I pray and begin the lesson, uh, Jan Bloomquist is home today. She was, um, at the doctor's yesterday. She had her pacemaker checked, and she had, um, <clears throat> she is okay. She's just tired. She's resting. She wanted you to know that she's good and just continue to pray for her. So I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we will um, begin our lesson. So let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are here. We thank you that we're in your house. We come this morning to learn and to worship. And Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be very present here. Just be among us. I ask, Lord, that you would be the teacher, that the things that we talk about, the things we think about, will be those things that you have given us to know. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I also wanted to tell you, if you um, need to raise your hand and ask me some questions during the lesson, it's okay. I'll just try to repeat your questions so that those who are online can, can hear and um, will have an idea because otherwise they maybe can hear a muffled voice but won't have any idea of what we're talking about. So if something I say just jogs something in you and you need to ask, please just feel free to do what you've done before. Um, it's kind of hard sometimes to be ourselves when we have people that we know are going to watch after and listen. I especially have to think about some things I didn't think about before. So I want you just to um, think in terms of those who are listening in and keep them in our prayers as well as we pray for one another here. So this morning we're going to begin, first of all, with just a little review. And I want to mention um, before we start something that Michelle brought up last week. She talked about how each of the um, Beatitudes builds upon the one before it. And we want you to think of that um, kind of in the terms of either climbing a ladder or going up a mountain. I have a picture of a mountain up there. And, and climbing up that mountainside, stepping on what's below us. And so when we think of the Beatitudes, we need to think in terms of what is what came before. Those steps work together. We need to con be con considering all of them all at one time. So this week, we're going to be talking about um, mourning. But just to review from last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this concept of going step by step up this ladder or up this mountainside. So if we are talking about being poor in spirit from last week, we recognize that to be poor in spirit brings us face to face with God as it brought Isaiah before God. And recognizing that in himself, there wasn't any good thing. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God has called me to minister. He needed to be cleansed. And God sends the seraphim with a coal and touches his lips and cleanses him. His sin is forgiven. And so our first step is our own personal meeting with God. And we find that he is faithful. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to strengthen us. And then as the Holy Spirit works within us, more and more, we realize our own sin. We realize the sin in the world. We realize sin all around us. And our consciousness turns to not only the goodness of God in our behalf, but the condition of the world around us. And <clears throat> that's part of what God wants us to realize. Now, the second beatitude is built upon the first. And as we recognize our need of a Savior, and we come to understand God's holiness, we begin to mourn for who we are. Now, this is not mourning as for um, one that is in, um, bereaved or for conditions around us. God is talking here to us about mourning over sin, mourning over the sadness of the human condition. It might be that we're mourning for illness, but part of that is part of the human condition too because of the sin of Adam and Eve. So the Lord starts us out by making us conscious of our own sin and then for the sins of others, as we look around us, we become conscious of our 
our needs in our family, um, our needs of our neighbors. And then next, we look at the world around us and see the destruction and death and the sadness of the human condition. Now, that's a big order. But, you know, we can see how very, very true it is because when we look at the news today, we turn on the TV, the human condition isn't in very good shape, is it? And we find that we are literally sick about it, mourning about it, mourning for the condition of our country, mourning over those who have been lost because of coronavirus. Many, many things <clears throat> enter into our, into our minds. So <clears throat> we see, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it almost seems to say, happy are the unhappy. But that's not really what it's saying. We're saying something has to happen within our hearts so that we can rejoice even in the worst of conditions. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Again, kind of morning God is talking about results from spiritual growth within us, study of the word of God, prayer, growing close to the Lord as we learn about him. And that sounds like almost a paradox that that would make us mourn. It makes us mourn for those that are lost. It makes us mourn for sin in the world and then should prompt us to move ahead and begin to walk with God. So we're going to talk about mourning that is spiritual. And we're going to talk about it from the world's view of it. First of all, the world thinks spiritual mourning is a joke. Why would we be unhappy in our mourning? It is a joke to the world. The world's concept of how our lives should be is don't worry. Be happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Or tomorrow, you'll die anyway. Get all the gusto you can while you have a chance. Live hard. Live long. Have fun. Don't worry. Be happy. And Jesus says, happy are or blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, I want to take a look from Romans 1. If you have your Bibles, please, I want you to turn to Romans 1 to get a view of how the world views mourning, how they view the commandments of God. I'm going to start, and I want to just read a few verses here. <clears throat> Romans 1, starting in verse 18. And it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. <clears throat> For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And this is how, how men treat God. So although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. And the rest of the chapter describes the condition of the world because they have left God out of everything and instead tried to go their own way and try to make everything look good on the surface. No reason to war- to mourn. Don't worry. Be happy. Now, again, over in Romans, starting in um, chapter 3, if you'll just turn over. I think I hit that too soon, didn't I? Whoops, let me go back. Let's go to Romans 3. Romans 3.10, verse that you're familiar with. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've become altogether worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. And then down to verse 18, and this is the heart of man's problem and why he does not mourn at the conditions he sees around him. There's no fear of God before their eyes. For the believer, blessed are those who mourn because we know God, because we have met him face to face, and we know that the condition of man is hurting. So, <clears throat> put that over there. How does all of this affect believers? One of the things that we have to understand is that believers are sometimes caught up in the very same condition as the world is. And when we talked about um, the book of Judges and Deborah and the and the way that the Israelites lived during the time of the judges, we talked about cultural creep and covenant drift and how the world catches us and we're caught up in all of their practices and we do not recognize how far we drift from God. And we too, like the world around us, does not have a fear of God. We forget about him. We go about our way. Now, two weeks or last week, Michelle talked about the Laodicean church. They thought they were righteous. But really, the Bible tells us they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. They thought they were like the emperor with his new clothes, walking down the street, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked for all to see. You see, as believers, God calls us to be conscious of sin. Mourn over what you see around you. Don't ignore it. God calls us to look at sin and to respond to it in, a, in, in the way that Jesus did. So let's look at how Jesus responded to sin. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. This is the only passage I'm going to read aloud from uh, in this portion. But this is a description of Jesus. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. I'll read through about verse 6. It says he was despised and rejected of men 
a man of sorrows. We'll see that Jesus had great sorrow. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and esteemed not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, acquainted with our grief. And so we want to look at what Jesus did and how he responded to sin. He carried our sorrows. He bore them for us. In the world around us, we're to look at the sin around us and take it to the Lord in prayer. We can't bear their burdens, <clears throat> but Jesus can bear those burdens we see around us. And prayer for the world is something that we ought to be thinking of. Now, in, um, if you're looking at your outlines, John 11:35, we read, um, and this is a story of Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus. And we read that Jesus wept. We have a couple of other times in scripture where we read that he wept. The other one I have listed also in Luke 19, 41, he weeps over Jerusalem. Now he wept at Lazarus's grave, wept and groaned in his spirit as he walked to the grave. And I want you to think about why he was groaning in spirit. It was as though his whole body was moved. Moved why? Why was Jesus so emotional at that time, moved in his spirit? He knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He groaned inwardly, it says. He groaned inwardly because he was aware of the end of all mankind, that death, because of sin, is something that all of us suffer. Those of us who know Jesus have him as the resurrection and the life. And we shall not enter condemnation, but we're passed from death to life. But Jesus looked at the condition of man, and he looked at the scene of death and weeping and mourning. And death is not a natural thing. Death came as a result of sin. And so again, Jesus responds to the weight of sin to the sorrow of sin. The same way when he passed, passed by Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem. This was his city. He was to reign there as king someday. And the city turned against him and the people turned against him and they crucified him. They hated him. And he mourned because of the city. And he said, um, I'm going to just quote from what I have written here. Oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you around myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Jesus mourns because of sin. 
So when we look at Jesus, what can we learn from him about his response to sin? Sin affected him. It affected him spiritually, inside, deep within his soul. And that's what God wants to happen when we see the world around us, not to just pass by it, not just to think it is nothing. And I want you to think of what's going on in America today. This is horrible. The things that are going on, we need to be disturbed about. Lawlessness, hatred for one another, hatred for things that have been established under the authority of God himself, one nation under God. And this isn't a political speech. This is the truth. That which God has established under himself turns away from him, and God is troubled. We ought to be troubled also, and we need to be praying for our country, praying for those who have been stricken by coronavirus, praying for those who are out of jobs, caring what's going on. The Lord has a plan here, but he draws us into it by his own response to sin. He mourned because of sin. You know, Jesus mourned because he saw sin in all of its horror. From Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, who were created in his own image, perfect, in perfect harmony with him, sinned and cast the whole world into a pattern of sinful living. And the Lord knew that he would be coming to redeem us from that sin but at the same time, man has turned away from him, like Jerusalem, turned away from him. I wanted to gather you around me, he said. And that's what Jesus thinks when he sees all of us turning away. So what can we learn from Jesus? We can learn that we need to be conscious of sin. And we need to mourn over it. Happy, blessed are those who mourn. And then we'll talk, the, talk about the rest of it. We'll be comforted, Jesus says. So let's keep going. Because we also need to see here the Apostle Paul's response to sin. We have the pattern of Jesus. We also have the pattern of the Apostle Paul. And we know that he had a meeting with God similar to Isaiah's. God stopped him on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, he saw the Lord. And he went from being someone who persecuted uh, the church to someone who went out to minister and, and to talk about the, the wages of sin and the problem with living outside of God. So we can learn from Paul's response to sin. And I'm going to have you turn to Romans chapter 7. And we'll be taking a look at <clears throat> a familiar portion of scripture that we've talked about before but Paul talks about this dilemma of sin that faces believers because believers sin. And sometimes we get stuck in sin and in patterns of sin. And so in Romans 7, starting in, in verse 14, I'm going to just read a little bit of that and then come down and, and we'll take a look at um, some other verses. Romans 7, 14, first of all, he says... <clears throat> we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, he's a believer. 
I do not understand what I do. You ever feel that way? You don't know why you get stuck in that pattern of behavior that you get stuck in. Why do we sin? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, <clears throat> but what I hate that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, then I'm agreeing that that bad thing is good. Basically, that's what he's saying. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me, and I've allowed sin to live in me. And then he goes on and he says, I know that as it is, it is no longer, I have to find my place here. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, I do the good, I do the evil that I do not want to do instead. Now, let's look at this. What Paul is saying is, I want to do right, but I keep on doing wrong. I'm stuck. And there's a war within me that keeps me doing this and that draws me to sin. There is something within me that draws me to sin. And he tells us that that's our old nature. Let me go back again. Verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. But it's sin living in me that does it. And even though we've come to the Lord and we have confessed our sins, sometimes we find ourselves returning to those sins because the old nature within us keeps calling us back. And it's easier to do what we're used to doing than to turn around, find a new pattern of behavior in Christ. So, <clears throat> verse 21, he says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So he's saying, I want to do right, but I keep on sinning. And there is this war in me that draws me into sin. And then he goes on down in verse 23 and 24. He says, I see another law at work in my body. He says, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war within, against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to give me relief from this? So what a wretched man I am. I can't stop sinning. I want to stop sinning. I'm wretched. Who will rescue me from this body of mine that is subject to death, who will give me relief? Who will comfort me? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comfort, comforted. Here's the pattern for comfort. We recognize what's going on within us. We recognize that there is a war going on within us. Who will give me relief? Who will comfort me? Verse 25. Thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He's rescued me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. That old war within us keeps on. But Paul is saying here, there's relief from that war. Who can rescue me from this war? The Lord Jesus has already made provision for it to rescue us from that war in his death on the cross. Now, I want to take you farther here because we have extra help in this. All right, I want you to go into Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about verses 1 through 4 because chapter 7 ends with, I myself as a slave am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. And here's our help. When we become Christians and we accept Christ as our Savior, when we find that we cannot make it on our own, God gives us the Holy Spirit within us to work within our hearts so we recognize sin and so that we know that we have a helper ready to help us all of the time. Look at what verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8 say. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He made atonement for us. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit of God. And here's our relief. We don't have to live according to the flesh. We do not have to give in to that old man living within us anymore because we have now the Holy Spirit living within us. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of the Holy Spirit. And when we feel pulled to sin, we can turn from that old nature that wants us to sin to the Holy Spirit who is stronger, has already defeated that old nature and say, God, I need you to help me through this battle. Here's your relief. Here's your comfort. The presence of the Holy Spirit within you and lift you out of that morass of sin and death and grief and enable you, not just live within you, but enable you not to sin. He lives within us, and the response to sin is filtered through the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit's response to sin? You don't have to sin. He is holy. His response to sin is immediately shut it down. Yield to the Holy Spirit living within you. There is your comfort. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. For they shall be comforted by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to set us free from the power of sin and death should be shouting hallelujah.
He has done it all and it has all been done. So he is there within us to keep us from sinning. Now, there's more. This goes on. You see, the comfort God gives us when we come to know him goes on and on and on. We learn to know him through poverty of spirit. God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot live the life you want me to live. And then I come to him. He touches me. He forgives me. And I have new life in him. But that old nature still tugs at me. And so he reminds us that we have the Holy Spirit within us through which everything is filtered. And we have an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit or continue in sin. The Holy Spirit enables us not to sin. Doesn't just live there doing nothing. He enables us by his power not to sin. So we have that authority from him to begin to walk in holiness, but the comfort that Jesus gives and offers in in this passage to those who mourn goes beyond our daily life and on into eternity because we have a blessed hope in Christ. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted now, and we shall be comforted as we look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Turn over to Romans 8, verses 22 down through about verse 30 of that chapter. When we read from John about Jesus, we saw that Jesus groaned over sin, over death. In verse 22 of Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There's a verse in, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians that talks about how we groan to be clothed with our new body that God wants to give us, that we want to and long to get rid of this old body. These verses also touch on that. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies. We groan at the life that we live here on earth sometimes, but we groan in anticipation of what's coming. Sunday is coming and the Lord has risen. Glory is coming in spite of all we see around us. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted in the hope of glory. Christ is our hope. He is our hope of salvation and our hope of glory. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And then he goes on and talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us um, to be conquerors in all of these things. And I want to go on and read the end of that chapter 
so that we can see the depth of our comfort over to verse 37 of Romans 8. In all these things, in all the things that are going on around us, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, now these are things that people mourn over. I'm convinced I don't have to mourn. I can mourn in Christ Jesus and know that glory is coming. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, things present nor in the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted in the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. So, we have hope. And just to summarize this, and to take a look at it, again, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The blessing is upon those, the comfort of God is upon those who turn to him, who is the God of all comfort. First of all, blessed is the poor in spirit. Then blessed are those that mourn, and as a result, find the Holy Spirit to be faithful and to be comforting us. Blessed are those who mourn, who have come to mourn over their own sin and have repented before a holy God. And the comfort that God gives, the power of Jesus to save us. What a comfort. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us. What a comfort. The promise of the blessed hope of eternal life. What a comfort. All of these things. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I'm going to just close this part in prayer and just thank God for what he's taught us. Then I want to spend a little bit of time in your um, workbooks before we're dismissed. So let's just bow in prayer and thank God for what he has um, given us. Jesus, we are thankful to you for comfort, for what you have given to us. It's hard to imagine, Lord, that you have walked beside us in all of our earthly lives, all of our trials, all of our joys, all of those things. But we see you, Lord, as the God of all comfort, and we think of the days that we're living in. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised to be our comfort, our hope. We praise you, Lord, that you are right there beside us in the midst of it all. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to just kind of shift gears a little bit. If you have your books, um, I just want to wrap up with a few questions from here and some thoughts um, about what what we can learn from here. And if you haven't been doing your books, and for those of you at home, um, you're welcome to join us, and, and hopefully you'll have the, the study guides and can follow along. Um, but I want to look at page 16, first of all, in the book. And I want to just read some of the comments there. And I, if you um, are bold enough to answer, 
I'd like you to try to answer these out loud, and maybe we can share some thoughts with each other. Down at the bottom of the page, it says, it is one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it. As the first beatitude says, it is another to grieve and to mourn over it. In more theological language, confession is one thing, contrition is another. Now, let me ask you, how are confession and contrition different? Do you know what they mean? Conf Go ahead, Ann. Okay, confession is acknowledging what you've done wrong. I have sinned. Contrition, then, is what? Go ahead. Admitting not only your sin, but grieving in your heart and feeling sorry that you have sinned. A true sorrow, a godly sorrow. Not just, oh, I'm sorry I did that, but Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. You ever catch yourself? Well, I'm sorry I did that. I really am. I'll, I'll go to somebody and say, I'm sorry I did that. But are you sorry for what it maybe caused? I am sorry I did it because I got balled out for it or whatever else happened, or I caused some major disruption at home. But contrition goes a step further. I'm grieving because I did it. Michelle. <laughs> right. In other words, you're grieving but you haven't come to the Holy Spirit where you allow him to remove that sin from you. And you know, oftentimes we do that. We allow that old nature to put things in our hearts and our minds and hang on to them. And it is easy to say, I'm sorry I did that without being sorry for the sin of it. Sandy. <laughs> right. And that's not contrition. Contrition is bowing before God. When you think of the Holy Spirit within you filtering those things, and he has the power to enable you to stop doing those sins or doing those habits that you continually do, allow him to do that. Take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to move within my heart so that I have a, a mind that suddenly knows that I can't keep doing this sin. Habits are hard to break. And sometimes we have sinful patterns that are really hard to break. But the Holy Spirit wants to move us beyond those. Um, I want to also go on page 17 down to question number two. And the question is, what are some evasions people use to avoid mourning their sins? Sandy. Comparison. I'm not as bad as she is, or that sin isn't as bad as what so-and-so committed. Yes, Bethany. Mm -hmm. And that, what, is she, what she's saying is that we don't have to mourn, and her generation, ours is just as bad, thinks that grace covers everything. In other words, grace covers a multitude of sins, and it does. However, we need to face our sin. Call it sin. Grace covers, but the blood of Jesus is there to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he'll convict us as we, as we are not doing things. What other evasions? 
do people use? One, one, Lorene first, go ahead. Right. We justify it. Leona, is that what you're going to say? Not my problem. I justify it. Eh, it's not my problem. They did it. We have a thousand excuses for sin. But I want you to think about what we've talked about. The Holy Spirit comes into us, lives within us. He is there to work. And when we sin, we offend him. We need to go to him and, and ask for him to enable us to take that step away from sin. We get comfortable with sin. Think about it. Are you comfortable with some of the things you know you shouldn't be doing? And some of them are not right before God. So all of us need to be careful of that. Um, let's go down to question number three. What forms might godly mourning over sin take? How do you behave when you're mourning over sin? Restitution, if you know that you've sinned against someone, sometimes you have to go to them and ask them to forgive you, and then restitution. Do what you hadn't done before, what needs to be made right. Put it right. Any other ways that things that mourning might take? Any other things? Yes, Becca. Bow your head mm -hmm, when you feel convicted because you feel sorrow and shame probably because of what you've done. So godly mourning might take just simple bowing of your head and confessing before God right on the spot. Any other things that you can think of? Crying out. When you mourn and you mourn over sin, you cry out for forgiveness instead of just quietly dealing with it. Bethany. Yeah. See, that is what the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to, to repentance and turning away from sin. That's his goal. So when you're convicted of sin, the next step then should be repentance, turning, confession, I should say, conviction, confession, repentance, redemption, so that you can set things right. Now, quickly before we close, um, anyone else have a, a question they'd like to add or a comment? Okay, I think we'll call it a, a lesson. Um, let me just pray again and just dismiss us with the, the grace of God. Jesus, again, we thank you that we could be here, and we ask you to just help us to remember these things we've talked about, about being godly before you and about mourning for our sin in the right way we ask in jesus name amen okay once again thanks for coming um keep us all in prayer keep one another in prayer and the church in prayer okay <laughs>